We're back today with our second half of our interview with Fernando Perez. If you missed the first half, it came out a couple days ago. It's uh, episode 21. And uh, we talked a lot about Fernando Perez, for those of you who don't know, um, former MLB player, spent most of his career, uh, most of his pro career with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Um, I, I hope you know who he is. It's a little weird if you only listened to part two of this interview. <laughs> if you were just like, I see part one and part two, and I'm just going to dive right in. Some people, through. I don't know, some people's podcast apps put them in the reverse chron- chronological, yeah. I don't know, whatever. So just giving you the requisite background. <laughs> but anyway, um, if you missed it, go back and, and listen to it. Um, it was really great to talk to him about like, scouting and and GMs and decision making and the ways that we train baseball players and practice and that kind of thing. It was awesome. Um, but in this half, we get a little bit more into kind of his personal life and, and writing and um, how that has interacted with baseball. And then, um, yeah, we finish up with some fun stories and <laughs> just some some really good shooting the shit moments, I feel like. Yeah. So I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast, but like he or how much we talked about it, but he went to Columbia and was like really involved in in a lot of writing endeavors while he was there. And it's not something that he dropped when he went into baseball. And so I was just kind of curious about the interplay with that and kind of how how he carried that with him as he as he went on. And obviously, he's still doing a lot of writing now. And we'll definitely link to that in the description, some of his more recent work. But uh, but yeah, we just wanted to know the the life of a of a former major league baseball player now. What's what's he up to? Who's also like a professional level writer and like yep. an incredible person and really entertaining. Yeah. Also on this podcast, he informally pitches us to Vice. <laughs> so uh, so there you go. There you have it. <laughs> we basically work for them now. Strap in. It's a good one, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the interview. I want to shift a little bit to uh, we've talked a lot about baseball. We will continue sure. to talk about baseball, but one I know that one of your other really big interests is poetry. Mm-hmm. And it's been pretty well documented. I know you've given interviews about it and you've published your own works. I'm just kind of curious where that interest comes from, um, especially as someone who is very you do a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. You did writing as a ball player and so kind of how those things work with each other. And how that plays out in a clubhouse as someone who is open about the fact that you have other interests besides baseball. Just because I know it's a very um, conservative, kind of keep your head down type sport. And so what it's like to be someone who is like, yes, I am I am not just a one-track mind. I only see the ball and hit the ball. Yeah, right? like it says right here on your Wikipedia page. Not to make you uncomfortable that we have your Wikipedia page <laughs> open. <laughs> but like... You are a fan of poets Robert Creeley and John Asbury. Like, do people in the clubhouse come up and say, hey, like, I've read a Robert Creeley poem once? No, uh, (laughs) there's, like, a little bit of fucking with you, for sure. Actually, there's a great heckling story. Heckling stories are incredible, and you should ask people more about these heckling stories. In fact, 
I was in a clubhouse maybe a year and a half ago because I wanted to write a story about heckling for Vice. And so I started asking people heckling stories. So a couple fascinating ones. I asked Dallas Keuchel. And Dallas Keuchel, he looked at me. He looked at me just like, I've never heard any heckling ever. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, you're, you're ice in your veins, bud. <laughs> uh, well, he needs to listen to one of again, our previous he podcasts. Might, he, might, he might just be like... It just might be true, you know. I we mean, put him yeah. on our um, all gentrification team, yes, as... where we just picked baseball players that looked like they could gentrify Brooklyn. Yeah, yes. they, they were our, our <laughs> yeah. next door neighbors in Bushwick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drink um, their craft beer. What an extraordinary player! That was a funny thing. So I was in the Astros clubhouse. Uh, what did um, oh Carlos Gomez told me that the A's were the worst. <laughs> he said that he gets crushed by the A's. And, yeah. And look, there's another, when you're not a white guy, there's another layer to heckling that, that people don't really realize. It's not just like, it's not like, hey, Nick Swisher, you suck, man. It's like, you know, I'm running, I'm, here, I'll give you one. I'm running out in, in Columbus, Ohio. I'm running out to right field and I hear, hey, boy, we're going to have a good time today. And I was like, it's the first inning. Oh, my, <laughs> oh my God. God. The heckling story, though, also, I would like to. that was a shockingly accurate <laughs> to what it might sound like <laughs> probably probably um, yeah, it's like you ask a guy like adam jones about that sort of thing, oh right? yeah totally totally um i the heckling story this is a this is a light-hearted one i was in uh louisville and i'm going out to play left field in 2010 in louisville and I think, I mean, star-studded, Araldis Chapman's there. I've, I watched Matt Joyce hit like a 800-foot home run off of Araldis Chapman. Good times were had by all. Daniel Ray Herrera was there, who also lives in Brooklyn. You guys should talk to him. Um, the shortest pitcher, I might add, since 1960-something. And I do when he comes to my house, and I like introduce him like that to people. He's like, <laughs> like this is Daniel Ray Herrera, the shortest pitcher since 1960 I'm sure he appreciates that. Does he introduce you as the player who had the most injuries over the course of his career? The <laughs> most weird injuries? I don't know what, I don't know what he, he, he introduces me as. So anyway, I'm out there, and these guys, uh, they have internet access, and they pulled up a, a piece of writing that I published. And they read it. They read the whole thing. And it was so beautiful. It was so stylishly done. I hope this guy like, hears this at some point because it was so incredible. <laughs> I bowed to him. I bowed to him after the game was over. It was just nine innings of this shit. He read it and he would read lines. And he's like, actually, Fernando, I find that line actually quite pedantic. And just like things like that over and over. It was so good. It was one of the best heckling heckling stories ever um i you know i would definitely like play with them a little bit more but you know like especially like in the minor leagues and the major leagues just you know it's like be just do ever don't do anything that makes anyone uncomfortable whereas like it was the minor leagues and i remember like you know kind of like getting in it with other people um so wait uh poetry i've always written uh I don't know when it started, but I've always written it. I've never really looked at it as a very, very special thing. I always looked at it like like a thing that somebody does. Like people sneeze, people pee, some people write. Why write? Why poetry specifically? Um, it's always been interesting, interesting to me because of the lack of rules. Um, I have horrible syntax. And 
um, a lot of uh, I've always I always found like a lot of like writing rules like very very oppressive. Now this also made me like uh, unreadable uh, to, for a high school teacher. I mean I was talking to a high school teacher of mine. I was just like, oh, that must have been so annoying when I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna try to write an essay that's one sentence because I saw a poet do that one time. <laughs> Or like, you know, I'm supposed to turn in a 20 page research paper and it's just like, it's just like several sestinas or something annoying like that. But it just like always was interesting to me. And then really how all of this began, I mean, the way uh, I told the story like this is totally true. The way that uh, um, Mark McGuire's Andrew was found, they saw it in his locker. And there was a low, for me, it was like a slow news day I'd like just I was in spring training or I just got called up or something and a writer sees a like all these skinny books of poetry in my locker and a very simple reason for them during baseball season it's such a long season my stamina to read a thing that where I'm gonna be in a chapter for like a while it's just hard I can't like so I don't think I read many novels or long things at all when I was playing baseball. But the short sort of flirt with, with poetry of reading a thing and having a feeling from it very, very quickly and having, having it be, be over, it was sort of perfect for the schedule. And it, it's really all it was. Uh, in another, you know, it, it could have been at a different point in the season, it would have been all totally different books or, or something like that. And that's how that, you know, that whole thing began. And then, of course, just because uh, of where we are, culturally like it became a thing like oh my god this guy plays baseball and he reads books oh my god let's write a story oh my god and and you know it's just like I was like you know I had to sort of like let that kind of take its course and happen but um, also like Ivy League educated I'm sure that played into it too yeah I mean there was a scenario there was a, a thing that happened I remember uh, I was interviewed by the Columbia a Columbia paper and this guy said to me he said you know, do you think that you're going to be treated differently in baseball? And I was just like, what? I was like, I, I don't even want to register an answer to that stupid ass question. And he was right. So he had probably spoken to other, he just knew. And it was a thing. Now, it depends who you are. There are guys that didn't go to Ivy League schools, but they're just like, they're just assholes. Like they don't get along with their teams. Like they just kind of think that they're better or whatever, or for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I, I don't have much of that, much of that in me, but there was a, a thing where a, I had a, a coach at a point where he pushed my buttons over and over and over. And I know this is true because he told me he did it. He, he told me that he did it because he wanted to see what I was made of. We almost fought on a field. So... And in my head, I'm like, why aren't you teaching me how to hit? <laughs> why aren't you teaching me how to hit? So in his mind, he's just like, you know what I'm going to do? It's like, we got this guy, Ivy League guy. He's soft. I'm going to push his buttons. And I think he was a little bit surprised. I mean, he, he said something to me, kind of like kept challenging me. And I was like, I think this is the point. I've never been like a, you know, a violent person, but I was like, I think this is the point where I'm supposed to say, no, fuck you, man. <laughs> you know, so I did. And, uh, you know, it was like very like theatrical, like we were separated. And then he apologized. <laughs> he apologized. 
You know, he apologized. He's like, I just wanted to see what you were made of. Performative scuffles. I don't understand performative, like that. The performative scuffle, yes. <laughs> I don't understand like the intuition for athletes and baseball players specific, like specifically. I don't, maybe like football is a different thing and that's a whole different conversation. But for like baseball players to be able to be like dropped off in a desert in war. Like why is that <laughs> like testing your valor as opposed to like just teaching you how to hit like you said because it's because it's just what exists it's like what they did before and everybody's just doing what they did before and um you know my all my interest is is to like do to actually design so work from the task and work backwards without any regard to the past like i know that this is what you guys did before you used t's and you you took batting practice and you did all of these things. So let's just not do any of that. There's no, no regard to the past. What is that doing for us? Um, you know, it's very easily executable, um, but there's a lot of stuff. Now, there, 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 isn't, there are some things that I think are valuable about that whole, that, you know, that mentality and with, you know, guys that are, you know, quote unquote soft. And soft is a very interesting idea because, you know, when you're talking about, you know, these sort of like archaic, what can be, let's say, archaic baseball minds, they might think that if you are a homosexual, that you're soft and that you could field a baseball team of, of gay players, an all-star team of gay players, uh, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I'm actually plagiarizing that from a baseball writer. I don't remember who said it. Um, you know, there are like, there are gay UFC fighters that would whoop your ass. So like, that's like not really true. Softness is a totally, totally different thing. But I think that there's some value in that when it comes to uh, problem solving, for instance, we all know that we've worked with a person who um, you tell them to do a thing. And rather than use their reason to figure out that thing, they're just kind of like peppering you with questions about like, like trying to like wiggle out of the responsibility to do it. So I think that that could translate physically. And there are people like that. There are people that like when the going gets tough, they're going to kind of like wither a little bit. You don't really want guys like that on your team. Can you work on that? I do believe that you can work on that. You know, that's what a lot of those programs are like designed to do. I mean, one of the things that I said, I said, you know, would it be a value to like make your whole baseball team do a survival course together? Like possibly <laughs> the, I think the, I think it's the Falcons or something like that. They do that. They have these like these contractors, the Atlanta Falcons or I know a football team does it. They have these contractors, these guys that have gone through like, you know, seal training and it's all team building stuff. And it makes more sense in football. Football is a legitimate team sport. Baseball is not really a team sport. But it, it does make sense. Like, yeah, put these guys through like this crazy SEAL training where they have to rely on each other to do all these things. Like, yeah, that makes total, total, total sense. And I do think that you can take a player that is sort of dainty and soft and, and toughen him up in the right ways. And I think that that would be of value. But it's usually wrong-headed in the same way. Like a good example is um, if you think of a bad parent, um, the kid does wrong and the bad parent, because their parent yelled at them, they yell at their kid. It's like, like, oh, of course, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to yell at you and be mad at you. The idea that there's another way to get to your goal is like sort of foreign to them. Um, and that goes on in, in baseball. There are people that work in baseball that are bad with people and shouldn't, shouldn't be working with your, best, with your best players. You know, There are others that are great. 
Uh, and a lot of times they're, you know, they're allocated in, in bizarre sorts of ways. You know, sometimes like your, you, you know, your best coach, one of the greatest guys I've ever met in baseball, his name is Manny Castillo. And I don't know where he is with Tampa now, but um, I learned how to switch hit when I was 24 or 25. And Manny helped me so much. Quite late and, to the party. There, yeah. The switch hitting. Yeah. Very late to the party. <laughs> Manny helped me so much, but... The thing why I think that he's been sort of like lost in the shuffle, there are a number of reasons. I think that a lot of a lot of times managers or, or, or you know, player or, or I'm sorry, coaches, a lot of times if there are Latin coaches, they sort of just tend to get allocated toward the younger Latin players because they're part of it is like acclimating them to America. And maybe that is the best thing. But the the, the skill that Manny had was explaining things physically that were hard to explain. So if you're you now not every coach clearly is super articulate and explaining things. So a good example, I think I mentioned this before is that you'll have a guy that you know, you're told, you know, you got to stay inside the ball forever. You hear it for 30 years and then a guy who says he like walks into the locker room after you know a, a, a a, a thing in the cage, like a, a, a session in the cage, is like I finally understand what staying inside the ball means. Hey, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, so one sentence. So one one sentence. <laughs> staying inside the ball is is having your bat between you and the ball. That may be a bad way to explain it. <laughs> you know, I like I I have a bat somewhere, and I could get up and exp- and and sort and start to explain it. But it can't. But it can't. I don't know if it can be explained in a sentence. It has to be like proved over and over and over. So what I want to do is I want to show so many. I want to show you so many videos of guys doing it and not doing it. Like I want to sit you in a room just like we're sitting right now and show you all these videos. I don't want to be in a cage with 25 guys and say, yeah, you got to stay inside the ball and have everybody nod their head and have three guys actually know what I mean. But that happens all the time. There are all these sort of uh, these, these learning environments that aren't really controlled. And there's a lot of nodding your head. There's like a lot of like, um, there's like a, a pressure to say, I mean, we've been, we've been in classrooms where you know, the teacher's like, is everybody with me? And everybody's like, yeah. And who's, who's with them? Yeah. The point is we all want to be with, you know, we all want to be there because it's not, we're not taking a test to like, you know, have the, the best grades at NYU for a job. Like we're all trying to play in the league. We really want everybody to know. And you really want to know this thing. You want to know what it means. So yeah, they're, they're, um, I'll just, I'll just stop there. Uh, I want to ask you wrote, quite a few years back, a piece about um, walk-up songs yes. and like how you chose your, you said you chose the Price is Right song, yes. um, which it's is fantastic. amazing. It's <laughs> incredible. It's worth a re-listen <laughs> out there if you're listening it's to gonna, it. I'm going to play it at some yes. point while editing this podcast. Um, <laughs> but the extended version, make sure. Like the extended version is just like, holy shit, did Quincy Jones do? Actually, I feel like Quincy Jones might have actually done it. It would make sense if if he did because it's incredible. I would be very like the, impressed if, you, like the if this is right. Version, it's just like holy shit. This is. Deep. You want to talk about shooting your shot right there with that <laughs> prediction? But you you kind of say at the end of the piece that at a certain point it's mostly for the fans, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, kind of in your years over, just in the locker room talking with guys who 
who believe in this sort of thing, who believe that the walk-up song makes them better, or, <laughs> or, or they just have something that they do. What are, I don't know, the weirdest rituals or things that guys, superstitions that guys have that they truly believe? Because that's one of the things that I feel like people talk about with baseball so much is like, yeah. you know, I do not wash my high socks <laughs> until the next time we lose. So what's like the weirdest I ones? I didn't wash anything. Have, yeah. Straight up nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if this qualifies, but I really like this one. Um, did you guys remember Grant Balfour and what he would do on the mound? Of course. Yes. Okay. So that <laughs> now, and, and he's not the most fascinating one. The best one that I've ever seen, I don't know the guy's name, but he's a left-handed pitcher, left-handed reliever that I remember facing him in Durham. You know, I'm right now, as I'm thinking about it, I'm just seeing him on the mound. I'm on second base and I'm looking at him and I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? So he's doing the Grant Balfour where he's, he like turns in to look and he's just cursing. He's like, motherfucker, cursing, <laughs> cursing over like under his breath, right? So I was playing in the in the playoff game against the White Sox where uh, I guess Orlando Cabrera had never seen that before. He didn't know Grant Balfour did that. And Grant Balfour doesn't mean any disrespect. It's just what he does to like get himself psyched up to throw his 95. He doesn't mean any disrespect. Orlando Cabrera didn't know this. They almost got into a little fight. Yeah. So this guy, apparently, so I asked one of, I asked like the second baseman. I mean, you know, the thing, one of the things that I miss the most is just casual conversations on the field, uh, you know, with players on the other, on the other team. And I was asking him and he's just like, he imagines that the, the quadrants of the strike zone are deer that he's trying to like, like hunt with his bow. And I was like, that's interesting. Uh, so like that's his shit. I don't know. He started that. Um, I'm also <laughs> baseball. I'm also very, very much into. Um, I think a movement totally spearheaded by Mariano Rivera. What you do when you gather for your pitch? Okay. So like, start to picture some of these, right? You know, Brian Wilson. He did his like. You know, what is that Red Bull chic? I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> But a guy who I like right now is Craig Kimbrell. Like, what's he doing? The chicken wing kind of thing. So what is he doing? He has an idea of what he's doing. I don't know if anybody's ever asked him. Like, he developed it, you know? But, so what is he doing? Is he, like, doing, like, a light shoulder workout before the pitch? <laughs> that is actually, like, priming... Like, Actually priming his shoulder and keep, protecting it while his, he throws his unnaturally hard fastball. Keeping like, his labrum and like yeah. rotator cuff engaged. Yeah. yeah, like maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. It, so it works. Guys, and it's it works. Real. It's working. Like, <laughs> Whatever I don't know he's doing. That's what he's doing. And for Kershaw as well, like the over the head, like, cat, like yeah. gather yourself, take a breath thing. Yeah. So everybody's got a little something. And I know, you know, pitching wise, um, you know, when I pitched, I just wasn't very good. So I just... I did those things because, like, I thought that a hitter might be like, whoa, that's weird, and, like, miss a pitch <laughs> or something like that. But I, I just love that sort of thing, and I love the process of guys figuring it out. Like, you know, what made Gary Sheffield start trying that? What makes these guys like, um, you know, Craig Council, where you're just like, you know what, I think I need to put my bat all the way over my head. I love that because it it's a superstitious sort of thing, but usually – it's like a physical superstition. It's just like, oh, this thing, this trigger gets me ready to hit. 
And it's really fun as a player to kind of develop them as you go. This is actually one of the things that I sort of want to break down in this, you know, this program that I'm proposing because if I, if, if you, you know, we go into the cage, you have an idea about hitting you, you think that, you know, putting your, your bat where it is and putting your feet where they are, you think it helps you in some sort of way. And what happens with players is that they, and, and this may sound crazy, but it's totally true that a lot of players, they believe that when they get out, it's like, oh, now I know what I need to do with my stance. And so we see guys change their stances. They make adjustments throughout the season. Cal Ripken made them within games. And so a lot of times it's injury stuff. You know, I remember a point where it's like, wow, my shoulder hurts so much that I need to maybe like keep my hands really low or something like that. So there's all sorts of reasons, but also guys are trying on stuff that is working. In the Evan Longoria years, when he was the greatest player in the world and we were, you know, we were playing uh, together in, in Tampa, I cannot tell you how many players tried the like super Caz softball player stance that Longoria was sporting. Guys were just trying it because they all work. All the bats work, all the stances work. 99% of guys, if I'm teaching hitting as I've done a little bit, is like, you can do whatever the fuck you want before, but 99% of hitters, when the pitcher is you know, about to release the ball, they all look exactly the same. It's just physics. So that whole plight is really fascinating to me. All that I want to do is I want to teach to players that they can hit in many, many different ways. Because a lot of times, if you'll see players, and this is not a not a losing attitude player but like a guy who is um maybe like a little bit like less on confidence and more on process i can think of several players that i played with that like thought themselves out of baseball they didn't believe in their ability and they're just like no 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 like the reason that i'm failing right now is because my bat is like 1 inch over here and if i move it 1 inch no that's probably not it you're you're an incredible uh improvisational athlete baseball players are the mo- perhaps the most the greatest improvisational athletes, like you can hit, I, I guarantee if I made you hit like Craig Council, like you can probably get some hits eventually. So my whole point is I just want to challenge guys to hit in as many different stances as possible and ritualize it. So they sort of lose that, that like, you know, wanting to cling to that um, like comfort blanket of like the stance that they think is best for them. They all work. Um, I wanted to just kind of wrap up on some of your media stuff and some of your recent media stuff. I think first and foremost, maybe the most important question that I'm going to ask you during this whole interview and podcast is what's harder to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball or a pitch from that wiffle ball tournament that you did a piece at? (laughs) Um, (laughs) The, uh, that was hard. That's a the, the whiff, and also what was what was lost in the translation there, uh, just because you know it wasn't like a forty minute documentary; it was just like a ten minute one. Is that that was medium pitch? What exists in wiffle ball is Jesus hard pitch. God. So oh they're so they are actually it's like an unspoken gentleman's rule that this is medium pitch. So if a guy is throwing it too hard, you can say, "Hey, that's too hard." So guys are all... That would never work for me. Yeah. Guys are all kind of like getting close. But when they're throwing it hard, it's a, it's a one hitter every time and it's a one nothing game. Like somebody just hits a lucky home run and it's over. <laughs> so this was medium pitch. Somebody just um, stumbles into one. Yeah, it's medium pitch. Uh, the wiffle ball because there's no fear of God. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you ever hit, you know, you ever hit in the shadows when... 
it's like you know a relief pitcher whose elbow hurts and he's missing arm side and you're not switch hitting anymore because you're not good at switch hitting and you're hitting righty righty and again there again there are shadows and then the uh the the owner of the stadium doesn't like the way the batter's eye looks so he just canceled the batter's eye and and you're and so like the the ball is the same color as the brick and uh, yeah, so that's the worst case scenario ever, and that's worse than hitting a wiffle ball, I would say. What? Who was the scariest? I'm always curious about this because we've talked about it personally. But like, who is the scariest person that you would not stand in the box for? Like, who was the scariest person you ever had to stand in the box for? It's, like, fear of God level might hit you in the face, scary. Uh, it's somebody that I just like thought didn't like me uh, or something. I would just say I, I could just tell you pitches like. Um, Johnny Venter's fastball is to this day the greatest pitch that I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> so I and I faced him in AAA and he walked me on four pitches and I think he came out of the game pretty soon. What he was doing to the ball, I like to think of it this way. What he was doing to the ball was so unnatural and was so incredible that it was unsustainable and his he ruined his arm. He found a way to to make his ball move and he ruined his arm over it. And if you think about that as an idea, uh, you have more and more, you know, bullpen guys that are thinking that that's like kind of worth it. Now, there are so many reasons. There, there's a guy that I worked with at, at Major League Baseball. Um, his name is Mike McClellan. And the smartest thing that he ever said about the, the smart, the smartest thing that I've ever heard said about the, the epidemic of arm surgeries was the fact that the new thing is the sticky mound, the sticky substance on the mound, which puts even more stress on an elbow. Whereas before it was more of like a sandy fall. You know, you step in kind of a sandy thing and, and it's just less stress on your arm. But now you've got this stickiness and, and you know, Maybe that's not true, and it's literally that there's just more money at stake and more guys are trying harder to throw harder, and then also you have um, hitters getting better and better and better, so you have more guys that are trying to do anything they can to not throw the ball straight. I mean, I, can, I can't even remember many straight balls that I ever saw, uh, you know, and even in like lower minor leagues. It's like if you... If you're throwing 97 and it's straight, like, what's that? That's not good enough. So if you're thinking about guys just putting English on the ball and, and things like that, I'm, I'm assuming that that's what it is. But Johnny Venter's fastball, by far, pitch by pitch, uh, what's the guy? Uh, A.J. Burnett's curveball is unhittable if he throws it right. You just don't swing at it. I remember I faced him in, in Yankee Stadium, and he threw a curveball, and it was right down the middle. And the umpire called it a ball. Molina asked the umpire where it was, and the umpire said it was down. I went into the video room, and it split the middle of the middle quadrant. <laughs> like, it just curved too hard. He didn't see it. That's like Fangraph's worst called ball and worst called strike of Wor the year that they yes, do. <laughs> yes, yes, um, So, yeah, Venters. I got a chance to face Roy Holiday in spring training, and that was, you know, he was only throwing them at, like, 92 but they're bowling balls like you hit it and your bat recoils so much it's just hard to hit it's not fun to hit guys throwing like hard two seamers it isn't like a great time <laughs> it's just not that fun whereas i could hit knuckleballers my for my whole life it's like the greatest fun 
You know, it's like all bets are off. Nobody cares if you're bad, really. Nobody and, cares if you look stupid. You know, because it's like, like just fun. Yeah. yeah, it's just there's fun. There's a built-in like excuse for it. Yeah. 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 Knuckleball is like the logical conclusion of weird baseball. Like that's just everything <laughs> yes. that it aspires to be. Yeah. It's like no one knows where it's going to end yeah. up. Yeah, I actually strike out in the Knuckleball movie. Because um, <laughs> he, I managed to get some like very bullshit like Derek Jeter punching Judy hit through the right side to lead <laughs> off the game. And then he retired 27 straight. So I had to strike out, of course, at the end of the game. Yeah. Nice. Well, I wanted to ask, like, because you do stuff on MLB Network and um, you also do stuff on Vice that's, like, a little bit longer. I wanted to ask, like, what do you enjoy about each thing separately? Because I'm always very interested in, like, the, the TV-style shows where you're just, like, sitting around and someone just, like, tease you up 90 seconds go and i feel like not everyone has the ability to do that and translate what they're trying to say really quickly and Mm -hmm. you know we've been sitting around talking for like an hour and a half but you don't get that luxury on a show like that whereas like at vice you get longer pieces 12 minute documentaries 40 Mm -hmm. minute style things i'm wondering what appeals to you about each and like how do you have to change your mindset about the two uh what appeals to me about baseball media is the money uh, and I'll be very honest about that because the, the whole, when it comes to all of that stuff, ESPN, MLB network, all of that stuff, it's all based on the supposition that this is really important and it isn't important. Um, like net neutrality is actually important and I don't want to get too far into like soft news and the decline of the empire, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to. I don't want to do that right now. But I appreciate there, that you called it the empire. There, there's a someone who studied American studies. <laughs> there, no, we should. I, I we could go for another two hours on American exceptionalism alone. Um, we'll uh, we'll have you in the studio for that. One. Yeah, that'll be a follow up. But um, you know, one of the things that I think people find annoying about all of this stuff is that there's a sh- there's going to be a show tonight, whether there's anything to talk about or not, and we're going to put you guys through this show. You know, and media, that's what media does. And that's like sort of the, the thing in the end that is like kind of disingenuous about it. It's like, we have to have a show today. So what are the most interesting things to talk about? Like, it's, it's not as if it's like, oh, it's baseball was not interesting enough to have a show today. We're just going to show you Planet Earth 2 videos. That's <laughs> not what happened. I would appreciate that. I would appreciate it too. Just like honesty. <laughs> I would appreciate it too. And, and I uh, will take this time to pitch for the 89th time. Two Vice, a show, <laughs> a, a sports show. We're just going to tweet this at Vice. A at sports Vice, show. <laughs> a sports show that, um, that gives sports news with the tone that is appropriate, right? Here we are, three people in this room. We love baseball. I love baseball. But I would never, ever sit here and try to tell you that Alan Trammell getting into the Hall of Fame is like at all more or as important as net neutrality or like the war in Yemen. But that is not the experience of going over to ESPN. It's just like, it's like, yo, LeVar Ball. LeVar Ball, though. LeVar Ball. So that's that's an issue. And, and I think that that's a reason that many reasonable so people. annoyed with all of that programming. I don't think that it's the... You know, I think that in a way, like Skip Bayless sort of personifies it in a way, but it's, I don't think that that's what people are annoyed about and, and are sort of get, driving away from these things. It's more just like, it's like how, but how important is this though? Like, 
I think that people are looking at sports like many different things. Like sports is as important as tech news and as business news and as this and as this and this. It's like sort of like, you know, like the if you watch Al Jazeera, which is on right now, if you watch Al Jazeera or like BBC or something like that, you have the sports segment. And it's like this is all, the only sports news that they're going to have is that like somebody won a Grand Slam today. It's like there's one thing interesting <laughs> in, in, sp in sports. And like they might go a full year without reporting on baseball one time. You know, and, and it makes sense because these are not, you know, U.S. public locations so i would love to see a product that just like gives sports the tone that it needs but i think that i think that we have this fatigue of having it reported on as if it's important like nobody gives a shit about anybody's legacy the problem is is that many people do give a shit about people's legacy <laughs> and, and and like and that's and we're sort of being driven to kind of talk about these things over and over and over again just like to to really it's like you know if you want to like you want to disrupt a barbershop? It's like, you know, like LeBron or Jordan. Who do you got? <laughs> and you won't get a haircut. You know, it's just, it, and, and so I don't know. I, I just see it, it's like a matter of tone. I think it's really cool to work outside of sports. Um, I don't always have the opportunity to do that. It's really fun. Uh, with Vice earlier this year, I got to do one of the first pieces, a documentary that was totally out, outside of sports. It was about uh, a religion called Shugendo and and that was really really fun I would love to do more reporting on things outside of sports I do work on you know a lot of things outside of it um, but you know I get lots of opportunities to work uh, in baseball and a lot of it you know sometimes when I'm on those shows um, like the modality as you're seeing here the modality that I'm interested in with when it comes to baseball is like not the overthinking stuff and not the like like analyzing decisions that are made that haven't even panned out yet. That's like mostly what you're seeing. That's like not interesting to me. I'm a decent actor. I can fake being interested in that. And I will do that for money for sure. But <laughs> what I'm far more interested in is are these, um, you know, like what does it feel like to watch players? Like we don't talk about that too much. Um, we don't. We, we talk don't, about that a ton. You know. Yeah. I we think, don't. We I think don't. you're basically saying that Vice should hire us. Yeah. Is, I think is, yes. is your pitch. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You're basically describing what we try to do with our podcast. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, there's some things that 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 I would love to see more of, but it's, um, but yeah, it's it's there. The tone I think is often just a little bit difficult to kind of interface with on a regular basis. Like I'm not sure. Like I don't know if I would be able to keep it up to like be on an ESPN and really be like trying to sell you this LeVar Ball story. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a price point that I could do it, but you know, but I don't, I don't really know. Um, but when it comes to like player development and like making guys better and, you know, talking like I, I, I wanted to, I remember when, when the world series was going on, we kept having these production meetings for a show that I was working on. And I kept saying, is like, we have to talk about how interesting Chris Taylor's step back is. We have to talk about that. And Eri's like, eh, not really. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, there's, you know, and, and I understand that because we've created an appetite out there in the world. Like, nope, people don't want to hear it. Like, maybe people that listen to fan graphs want to talk about that step back and talk about the first time I ever saw anybody do it was Tony Clark first guy I ever saw do it. And I was just like, what the fuck is he doing? He's stepping backwards. This is really interesting. 
And like Nolan Arenado does it quite a bit. He's pretty damn good at baseball. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, yeah. I would, would take him. Good. Would take him on my team. <laughs> yeah. So those, you know, I'm I'm really interested in those sorts of things, but there isn't a tremendous appetite in them. You know, imagine in the in the, you know, the, the MLB Network is you know they're doing a little bit more of that stuff, but there isn't like a tremendous appetite for that on you know Fox. We have like a lot of times we have like these um like pseudo break it down kinds of things where it's just like a, you know, a bunch of guys uh, like in suits swinging plastic bats and things, you know, and things like that. And and that's fine. And that's fine. And because people like that, I mean, people like, as we, as we know in basketball, like people like watching Shaq talk, people like watching them talk. Like, do they want to see like, you know, like basketball tutorials about like defensive systems, maybe less than that. I kind of want to see that. Baseball I wise, I kind of, you <laughs> yeah, know, baseball wise, I would like to see, you know, when when they sort of like kind of let some of the players get lost like a little bit down the rabbit hole of like what they how they were doing pitches, like when when they let Pedro just go and like talk pitches and things like that. Yeah, love that. But like, you know, that, how much do I want to see um like some of the other things that I won't name? <laughs> like not not as much. So we're running a bit long here, yeah. so we'll let you go in a minute. But just because we're kind of on this topic of mm-hmm. like what fans kind of want to hear and not taking this too seriously, I got to ask about something that you mentioned a few minutes ago, which I know is something that I think every fan at one point or another has thought to themselves. And that is, what on earth are those guys talking about when the runner gets down to first base? And which, because everyone acts like they are best <laughs> friends. It's like you get down there. And I don't know if you are asking about what the hell is the pitcher doing for this <laughs> ritual, but I'm, I'm, or maybe it's an unspoken thing that's just like that does not leave uh, first base. But I'm, I have always been curious. <laughs> what brilliant thing is Joey Votto saying okay, to you yeah. as you run first? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to say a thing about myself. My lip reading skills are incredible. I don't know how they got so good, but they're incredible. Practice. Uh, I watch baseball without the sound on. I listen to music. It helps, actually. You, it's difficult to listen to the sound of an announcer and like do some lip reading. You can find out a lot. Two stories <laughs> that I'll tell about being at first base. My favorite player to ever... Three stories I'll tell. My favorite player to ever meet at first base is this guy named Tommy Everidge. I hope you're listening out there, Tommy. Tommy Tommy's was like one of our so nice. 200 listeners. He's just like so nice and sweet. And like I feel like by the time and like when I was playing against Tommy, it was in the California League. And I led the minor leagues and run scored that year. So I was always on first base, at least for a little while. And so I would run into Tommy quite a bit. And like I feel like by the seventh inning, we were talking about relationships and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just having an absolute grand old time. Um <laughs> Uh, Kevin Euclid. Oh I get to first base and Kevin Euclid. I was like, this is the friendliest man I've ever met. Why is he being so friendly? And I'm like, is he distracting me? Cause it's working. <laughs> I want to be friends with Kevin Euclid. You know, I'm a rookie and he's Kevin Euclid. Like I want to ask him so many questions. I don't have that much time to ask him these questions. So that was like a really good time. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm like, he's distracting me or something. He like knows I want to steal. World Series. I didn't play in the World Series except for when, uh, very casually, 
uh, Joe Madden in the top of the ninth inning of game five, he said, hey, you should go run for Navi. And I'm like, okay, it's a World Series. Um, <laughs> getting ready to go in there. And and I said to him, I was like, do you want me to steal? <laughs> like, just like that. He's like, yeah, duh. Like, I, he didn't say duh, but like, he looked at me like, I was like, of course I want you to steal. I know, yeah. The, the Joe, <laughs> you know, that Joe Madden look comes I, across quite often on TV. And my thinking is just like, but Joe, everybody's going to know. You know? <laughs> so anyway. It's like, I you're run, fast for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I, trot, I trot out there. And Ryan Howard's there. And Ryan Howard is just being suspiciously friendly. And I'm like, he's trying to distract me. <laughs> There's so much time to talk. Like, if he wants to be friends, we, he could text me. He could get my number. <laughs> he could just meet me at the, you know, after the game. He was absolutely trying, like, I think, damn near to distract me. <laughs> to distract me. But it was Ryan Howard. So, like, I couldn't ignore him. That would just be rude. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't, so I was like, so I'm like trying to take my lead, like look at the sign, like do, I'm trying to do, I thought I was doing a million things at once. Like I thought I was going to pass out because I was still trying to like be friendly to Ryan Howard. Like I think that's what he was doing. So there's a lot of that going on, but also too, remember, even in a team sport like soccer, you could acknowledge that a player on your team is an insane person. And baseball's not that much of a team sport, and especially when it comes to like the you know the pitchers and the position players, cats and dogs. It's like the eternal fight in baseball. So a lot of the time, when the guy gets to first base, they're just talking about the pitcher and like what's what's going on with him today or whatever. You know, there are some first basemen that they're just like they're such hitters. Like they don't give a shit. Like they don't they don't care that their team like that we, you just gave up a hit that may lead to a run. You know like you get there and just like nice hit, man. You're looking great. Like, like, you know like there's a lot of that. Like who that that swing is looking bueno, dude. Like there's a lot of that going on. So much of that going on. But there's a lot of just talking about like weird stuff that happened in the game because weird things happen in the game and and they get kind of like covered covered up like somebody like you know like oh man like um you know when somebody does something crazy and like you think something might happen like problem guys on teams that just cause all sorts of problems so there's a lot of talking about that but it's it's um you can do a lot of lip reading uh but it can be almost everything there are some guys that are taught you know they're talkers and then other guys that like they just ne they'd never even look at you They'd just slap a hard tag on you, throw it back. They'd never even acknowledge you. You know, they're like really in football mode. Like, I hate you. I hate you. We're not friends. And what I You're love. You're standing around and to, in the yeah. same airspace. And to end, to end, what I would say is to me, so the fraternization rule, you know that this is a thing. When I was in double A, again, I'll bring up Carlos Gonzalez, Emilio Bonifacio, uh, Cesar Nicholas. He's, he works with the, the Mariners. Um, a bunch of really great players on that team. I remember Faye Scherzer over there in Double A. Great players on that team. We played them all the time. I played against those guys in A ball, Double A, and we were all friends. Um, Franklin Morales, you know, like Franklin. I broke up Franklin Morales's no hitter, and like we went out for dinner. Like, so we're all friends. You know, we're all friends. There's really no reason. You guys that played with each other in college and stuff like that. Everybody's friends. And so there's a rain delay and Brett Butler's their manager and we're in the outfield and it's like, you know, me and, you know, Bonifacio are like hugging and dancing. We're all like hanging out and Brett Butler beelines to us. He's like, what are you guys doing? You're not supposed to do this. Like, you're not supposed to do this. Like when the, when the gates are open, you're not supposed to like 
be friendly. And I just remember, and he walked away and I was just like, damn, Brett, you need a hug. Brett, <laughs> like, Brett, it's, it's fine. Like who hurt you? You know, but it's just because like Brett Gardner it's just now. because He's in just... his day, in his day, it's just like not what was done. But what is so fascinating about this is that as much as, you know, as much as has been said about Latin players, who is bucking the fraternization rule? It's all Latin players. The best baseball TV that I've that I've seen in years is Baez and Lindor screwing around at second base. Now, <laughs> the fraternization rule I think is helped. Like you have all these moments where that are almost like the fraternization rule has to go because it's like, what do you got? What do you do when you have a play under review and you have two guys standing on second base, like looking at the jumbotron? Were they supposed to like stand away from each other? They both need to stand like around the base. So it's really, you know, that is sort of interesting. Um, and I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's awesome. Like you can compete really, really hard and like be around each other. And really in, in general, the biggest divide is position players and, and pitchers. Um, so yeah there was like that beautiful moment in the nlcs when baez i think like miraculously tagged out puig as he does and then just like waved his finger at him just like give me all of this all of of that all the time (laughs) all of it all the time Um, yes my favorite player uh ever Uh, he is the the (laughs) most aesthetically pleasing player that i've ever seen he is incredible um, all right. Well, Fernando, we don't want to steal too much more of your time. We're already well past yes. what we said we would do, but it was a blast. Where can we find some of your non-baseball playing work? Um, I don't share much of it, uh, but that could change in 2018, perhaps. Um, but if you happen to be between 15 and 18, I teach at the School of the New York Times related to this I teach a class called modern sports trends pretty good time it'll cost you but but it's a pretty good time I teach a creative writing course for them I also teach a sports called modern sports trends Um, what else am I up to that's all just a lot of balls up in the air a lot of maybe working on a thing with deadspin working on a thing working on stuff with vice working on stuff with uh, MLB I talk to people I flirt with the Blue Jays. I have interesting conversations with with Tony Clark, aka Baseball Morpheus. Um, you know, I, I don't know what 2018 has in store, uh, but right, that's well, exciting. Does, does any of us? At really? least, uh, at least, it, it's a wide net of stuff where we could catch yes. you in. So, yeah. thank you so much for yeah, this. Of we course, really, really it's been a great time. It. This was awesome. <laughs> that was a long one. Yeah, uh, I remember like being in the middle of the interview. So we did. We recorded this like uh, Thursday the fourteenth, and I just remember looking down at the clock from time to time and looking down at how long we were recording for. 
and we started to get into like the hour 20 range and i was like this is gonna be two podcasts yeah but i I was like noticing the time i was like first of all we were way over what we asked him to do for us (laughs) but how many times you get an opportunity like this right i was like i just have to it's like one more question it's gotta be one more (laughs) i gotta know yeah I mean, definitely. How often are you sitting in a former MLB player's basement just, like, asking just him like, questions about, like, chilling. asking him what it's like when you round first base and the first baseman turns back and starts talking to you? Like, yeah. that's very... Smack on the butt. <laughs> How are the kids? Yeah, especially with someone who's, like, who's willing to talk just the way that he is. So yeah. I thought it was really fun. Yeah, so really huge thanks to Fernando just for taking the time and really being willing to to entertain all of our smart and silly questions. Uh, I think we really had a wonderful time doing this. Um, Yeah, so maybe we'll get Fernando in the studio. We'll do a little home and home with him at some point. We got to get him in our element now. (laughs) Um, But uh, that was Tipping Pitches. Uh, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And thank you for listening. Check back in next week.